This week's podcast is sponsored by Direction. Welcome to Investing with IBD Podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, and it is November 15th, 2023, and we've got quite a show for you today. Joining me, as always, is Arusha Pierce from O'Neill Global Advisors. He's a portfolio manager over there. How you doing, Arusha? I'm doing well, Justin. Okay, a little bit better of a market to, to talk about, so that's always exciting. And helping us with that is Charles Harris, who is also a portfolio manager over at O'Neill Global Advisors. So I feel a little outnumbered today, but uh, Charles, so great to see you. Charles, uh, of course, he and I uh, sat next to each other back in, what was that, 2000? Um, yeah. yeah way back when. Yeah. Uh, and I, I got to learn so much from him. I was uh, just starting out and he was uh, about to become a portfolio manager. And, you know, he was uh, running his own money and showing me what he was doing on the old ILX machine. And every now and then I'd be, I'd hear him on the phone and then I'd say, oh, look, there's Charles. I can see his volume spike right there. So, <laughs> wow. That was fun stuff. Uh, so, <laughs> of course, Charles and I also worked on the Market School uh, product together. Um, gosh, we did a lot of projects together, a lot of fun. Between, yeah, yeah. We um, were, we were you know, together for at least a decade. Yeah, he, he was he was in Bill's office, Bill O'Neill's office, the founder of uh, Investors Business Daily. I was right outside looking in sometimes saying, gosh, <laughs> looks like you guys are having fun in there. But uh, <laughs> great to have you. On. <laughs> great to have you on the show, Charles. Uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about, I think one of the favorite topics when you were at the master's uh, classes, um, you know, anytime you've talked, I feel like you really hit the the psychology part of trading uh, so well. Uh, and you come at it from such a place of humility of like, hey, this is something we're all figuring out kind of together. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, were you a psych, psych major? Yeah, I was actually a double major in okay. psych. I mean, I, I started out math, computer science for two years <laughs> and then decided, I don't, I don't really like this. Yeah, yeah, that so, South Campus part of UCLA was not a exactly. not attractive for you. Yeah, it, was, so. it was like a different world when I went from South Campus to North Campus. Yeah, I hear you. I I was also thinking of getting my Bachelor of Science for a little while, and then said, eh, Bachelor of Arts sounds good. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So let's let's get right into it and start with the market here. Uh, I feel like the market, there were all of these things we were asking of it, saying, well, the market's got to do this, the market's got to do this, the market's got to do this. And it seems like it's just ticking those off one by one. It's gotten above the 50-day moving average line. Um, it's crossed the downtrend. It had a three waves down. It's now back above 14,000. Um, is, is it too good to be true, Charles? You know, I think that, um, you know, we're all waiting for a pullback. Right. And, and like I was maybe looking at the three waves down following the, um, you know, the Internet bubble uh, bursting in that bear market that followed. So, you know, we we bottomed there in October of uh, 2002. We rallied up to the 200 day and then had the three waves down. And we had a nice move. What's that? Are, are you talking about the 2003 precedents? Yeah. Or? yeah. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And so, and then we had the three waves down in 2003, and then we broke okay. out and had a really nice sustained move. So I think, uh, yeah, right in there. So we had this nice little two-week window of consolidation before we went on that big run. And now, you know, I think, and whenever I hear anyone on TV or, or even on, on IBD Live, it's like, oh, I'm going to wait for the pullback, you know, we're going to get the pullback. And and we should get a pullback, but I think when everyone's looking for a pullback, that's usually when you don't get a pullback. So I think, you know, we are going to have a couple, I think a few bad days in here. And I have no idea what's going to happen, but what I, what my feeling is, is that, yeah, we're going to get a little pullback, but I think it's going to be very short and sweet. And if you're not um, invested as yet, or if you're way underinvested, you're going to have to maybe take some action or, at least that's how I would handle it. But anything can happen. I mean, this has been one of those, this has been a year where it's just been a lot of false starts. But I feel now with the inflation data being much more benign, and I think we're, um, we feel pretty secure that the rate hike uh, cycles finished. And, you know, and it's been a really bad 
it's been a really tough two years. You know, if you pull up a weekly or, or monthly on NASDAQ, I mean, a two-year period of not hitting new highs, you have to go all the way back to the financial um, collapse in 2008 to, to have another period of that length of time before you've hit a new high. Mm -hmm. So it's been, you know, we, it has really worn us out. It's really been a nice combination. <laughs> I want to, it really hasn't been that nice, but it's been a combination of wearing us out just time-wise and scaring us out because the growth sector and particularly speculative growth, like represented by the ARC funds, you know, were devastated and decimated. So, you know, those peaked two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And you still have names like Shopify still off, you know, over 70%. Um, you know, still like a lot of great stocks that are still, uh, or at least former winners. I should say the ARC funds are down 73%. I'm not sure what Shopify is, but it's probably in that range. Um, so, yeah, I think that the... The market's been it's been surprisingly strong these last few weeks, you know, rallying up about 13 percent in you know 14 days, which is is pretty strong without any pullback. I mean, it's been up almost every day. And you know, I looked at for a number of precedents for that kind of action, and um, I had, you know, and, and these I remember as we traded them back October 1998, uh, following that little. Um, long-term capital blow up mm -hmm. and you know that was incredibly strong right i mean it it took off and it did not give you any opportunity to get in on a pullback for about four months mm -hmm. so you know the market and we've only gone up for 14 days so you never know what the market can do you know we if it wouldn't it be amazing if we were in this kind of period and i had no clue what's going to happen but you know, we are entering, I think, a new innovation cycle, just like we had the internet back in this time frame. We have AI this time around, and it, it is, it does seem like this is something that's going to be truly profound and touch everything. And great bull cycles usually ride a, a wave of new innovation and technology and something really exciting, whether it's um, you know, the internet or, um, you know, the advent of the PC, um, you know, these kinds of, you know, sh secular shifts in technology usually coincide with these great runs. So I think, you know, we could, we, the market can, can be a lot stronger than people think. And another, um, in that same time frame, a year later in October 99, you know, the final thrust of the internet bubble also took off um, from the kind of a mm -hmm. kind of tough market environment where you, you know, kind of like that, that doesn't look, it looks pretty benign on the chart, but those, you know, I don't know what it was, four months or so of the summer of 99. Yeah. Where yeah. You, you kept hitting a new high and then pulling back. I mean, it was pretty brutal, but then when you finally took off, just look, the market was up almost every day and it pretty much held the 10-day moving average. And if you were just waiting around for, yeah, I'll, I'll wait for a nice two-week pullback, it just didn't happen for a few months. So, um, so yeah, I don't know what I'm in, but I, I have these periods of time in my memory. Mm -hmm. And so I am afraid of, I'm not fully deployed. Um well, it's a little interesting that you're using 2003 as a precedent, which was the start of like a recovery out of out of the dot com bubble. Yeah. Uh, and you're also using as a precedent kind of the 98, 99, which was the end of a big, big move that we had for most of the 90s uh, yeah. that preceded the dot com bubble. Yeah. And, and what I'm looking at is basically just periods of time when the NAS, I mean, we can find more, but this periods that I lived through that are still in my memories, like almost like, like my, my little, like, like intuition is like, well, you know what, this can go a lot further than people think yeah. because I, I'm always looking to buy on a pullback, right? That's my style. But I do remember these periods of time when, 
um, the market just kept running. And if you didn't get involved, you were left behind. So, and I hear a lot of people out there who are, you know, I I think there's still a lot of wariness that this rallies for real. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think that sentiment is overly bullish, even though we've had such a huge move in such a short period of time. Um, I just feel like there's still a lot of money on the sidelines and people like, "Eh, I don't know if I still believe it yet. And, you know, you know, I don't know that we're not going to have a recession and, you know, we don't know what Powell's going to say, you know, he could just say, you know, higher for longer and, and that might, you know, hit the market again. So I don't know. I'm feeling like there's a lot of people afraid to, um, to really take, to really get involved. And now that things are running away from us, that makes it even harder. And, and what usually happens in those cases, you know, just human nature being what it is, is the um yeah the market will still will keep going up until you just can't take it anymore and you say yeah i I just need to get in and you get in and then you're going to get a nice little pullback so that's just how the market operates you know it operates in a way to fool the most amount of most the highest number of people so that's 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 what i'm looking at yeah so it you know, I think it's a perfect time to maybe bring up the market school, right, and the power trend because we've had a pretty strong move over the last few weeks after this fall today, and market school was designed to help us recognize, hey, when are you in some kind of unusual type of environment? And you you quantified, you know, you and Justin and Mike uh, Webster quantified a number of rules to help you stay in. Uh, and try to capture the most of uh, a really powerful trend. So maybe, and Justin, <laughs> I'll interview you in this. Why, why, why don't you explain this? Uh, so uh, maybe maybe just go over the definition of a power trend because we're starting to get a little close to it, right? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say we should test Charles because it's been uh, 10, 10 years. But I, you know, in the pre-show, he was doing pretty good. I was impressed. Uh, well, it's funny because you mentioned like you know we'll talk about Marcus School, and I thought you were joking. <laughs> but but I will say I'm gonna have Justin go over the explanation because it's far too confusing and it's been far too many years for me to remember all the ins and outs. But but the the beauty of the Marcus School approach was that it takes all of these um, kind of feelings uh, and moves them to the side and say, well, what's the market actually telling us? And again, this thrust off the off the 200 day has been really powerful. And the model is saying you should be fully in, involved. And, it, and it's been that way for at least a week, I think. Mm-hmm. So basically, Marcus School said, okay, never mind what you think or what the headlines are, what the news items are. What is the market telling us? And the market's saying uh, it's acting strong and it, you should get involved. Yeah. And that was the whole point of doing this approach was to really listen to what the market is telling us and not what our um, kind of feelings and emotions are telling us. And and so, it, you know, it's worked. And again, it's it's been telling us to get fully invested. And yet I think many investors are not fully invested. So um, anyway, well, and, and I will say that one of the one of the difficulties this time around has been this whole question of, you know, the market school rules really just look at the market index itself, specifically the NASDAQ composite. And with so many people talking about the breadth issue, it's like, does that translate to what you should be doing with stocks? Because, you know, the NASDAQ has been acting very differently from most of the stocks out there. Um, And I mean, if you look at RSP, you know, we were talking about how the equal weighted S&P 500 ETF. I mean, that looked so different. I'm, you know, at least now it's back above its 50-day moving average line, and you know, right there at its 200-day line. But that was a big question mark. You know, we don't look at breadth. We don't look at you know individual stocks and leaders and everything like that for the market school rules. We're just looking at the index itself. But to get to the 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 question, you know, on in terms of power trend, we do have a number of the factors in place now, uh, and we're just waiting for the final the final piece of the puzzle. So uh, we have the 21 above the 50 day moving average line. We just need that to be five days now. Um, 
Tuesday was the first day where it was above that. Uh, we have the 50-day moving average line in an uptrend. This was actually one of the things that Charles came up with. Uh, he was, you know, really interested in kind of seeing that as a proof point that we were truly that strong. Um, although I will say Mike Webster was bringing up um, the the question of whether or not maybe an EMA, an exponential moving average, would be a little bit quicker in getting that. So if you want to get the band back together, Charles, maybe we uh, maybe we test that out. Um, we all. <laughs> we also got uh, one of the other elements uh, today. Uh, we have 10 days where the low of the index has been above the 21-day moving average line. That's the green line on Arusha's chart here. So we've got that in play. Um, so, so really, the, the final element here is the five days of the 21 above the 50-day, and uh, this is day two. So uh, we could see that as, as early as Monday for the power turn to be back on. And then, at, so just, um, and, my, and my just to pivot on what you said, Justin, with regard to it has been tricky because not only has the breath only really started to improve, and you know, I think in the last few days, I mean, I think there are a lot of stocks now to, to pick from, right? But yeah, breath has been terrible, um, up until very recently, and also it's been kind of strange because volume hasn't been that huge on many of the individual stocks that you think would have really nice volume. So like, you know, we always talk about NVIDIA, but NVIDIA, I think that, that has an AD rating of an E. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is, is that true? I'm that's not true. Yeah, yeah, yep. true. Yep. yeah. So, I mean, like, that's not normal. <laughs> that's not what you would expect, you know? So we've had this really light volume kind of rebound off the lows and and that's kind of also made me a bit skeptical or, or a little bit scared because you know normally you know you want to see some volume on the right side and you know as you're approaching the high you know before maybe you get a, a nice little handle and there just haven't been many elements of strength in terms of volume yeah so, you would expect that over the summer but once we got past labor day it's like Hey, where is it? <laughs> yeah, where'd it go? Really odd. And so, you know, if we, if you know, when we used to do the workshops, you know, it was my, I did the sell signals, and you know, low volume rallies were an indication of maybe, uh, you know, institutions aren't involved, and even though we know that institutions are involved, but it's not showing up in the volume. So it's, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a strange market. It has been, it hasn't been easy. Um, get, get, getting back to the, the power trend, when you get into power trend, what is the significance of that? And what are you supposed to do? Right. Just, just maybe explain that process. Are you talking to me? Is that, I think was, that, that was for you, just, Charles? Just, okay. Think, well, I well, well, I mean, this, this, I'll, I'll remind Charles of what we uh, what we talked about 10, 12, 13 years <laughs> ago, whatever it was now. Um, I mean, certainly one of the things was uh, there were those times where you wanted to kind of slow down your selling. And um, so we we implemented a few things. And it's it's funny because there were there were these time periods that we'd look at, and you know, you could have you could have these moments where you were getting sell signals, but you know you would you would come up so much, and so it's like, well, you were still kind of holding a lot of the gains you had, and you know maybe maybe you were getting distribution, maybe you're getting these things, but um, you know the the idea was that if you had these massive gains on your stocks and you'd made all this progress, uh, you you probably didn't want to completely get out. So we implemented things like having a floor, we implemented things like having a little bit of a cushion to slow down your selling. Before you really, um, you know, before you really started, uh, uh, you know, having those sell signals um, be acted upon. But at the end of the day, we also had in there kind of look. If you've got a distribution cluster, you've got to you've got to do some, you know, take some action because of distribution piling up. Or if you're below the 50-day moving average line, well, that's you know, these are two things that would put that power trend under pressure. And then of course, the the final signal, which was usually very very late was that the 21 day would get back below the 50 day moving average line. That was usually, you know, we were usually long gone by that time in terms of our exposure. But um, any any final thoughts on that, Charles? Uh, uh, 
No, you know, one thing that we never got around to implementing that if we kept doing it, we we would have certainly is using margin yeah. in our model. And I think or shorting. Or shorting, right. Yeah. But in terms of the power trend, uh, you know, when things are that favorable technically, that would typically be a time when you could implement margin and just be more aggressive because it's really telling you that the market's you know, technically acting, you know, in a very strong way. And if you have the breadth and loss of, you know, choices, you know, in terms of stocks, that's when you can kind of be comfortable to push it a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in some ways we often use the uh, analogy of when you're, when you're playing blackjack and if you're counting cards and you've got a favorable <laughs> deck, you know, with, uh, uh, with the count in your favor, where it's, it's, it's time to, you know, take advantage if you can. So um, let's go ahead and uh, take a pause real quick. We'll take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have Charles talk a little bit more about the idea of psychology, one of the most popular topics that Charles talks about in, in his sessions. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Apple, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leveraged and inverse ETFs from Directions. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Pires and my good friend, Charles Harris. Uh, both of those guys are portfolio managers over at O'Neill Global Advisors. So uh, again, we've got uh, two O'Neill portfolio managers in the house. Uh, Charles, of course, has been doing this a lot longer. Uh, what, 23, 23 years now for you? Uh, a little bit over that. If, if I'm, I started if I'm, managing money in June of 2000. So June yeah. of 2000, yeah. So you just uh, had, had your 23rd year. And, and again, I got, to, I got to watch you in action. Um, uh, I mean, a, a, after you were having some of the best years ever, um, you know, a thousand percent year was that uh, in 99? I mean, that's how you basically got Bill's attention to become a portfolio manager. Like, you know, he just said, I want a piece of this. Um, and you've, you've had some phenomenal, phenomenal years in which you've just had these mind boggling, um, you know, triple digit gains in a year. And you've gotten back to back where it's, you know, compounded out to just, again, astronomical uh, things. But you've also had the the tough years the, the the times where things haven't gone wrong, uh, right for you um, you get a string of losses and that can be really tough on your psychology so how how have you handled it and what have you learned from the process thanks for reminding me Justin <laughs> um, now it's tough you know my career has been very much a roller coaster I've been pretty open about it. And particularly, really, I'm talking about my personal account, not not the firm account, because uh, we don't do that at O'Neill, the roller coaster. We, we have a much more upward trajectory. And um, but with my personal account, you know, I um, I think where I've I can say I have a weakness. It's in my risk control. Um, I get, uh, you know, I can go on these huge runs and I'm very slow to. Um, to come to terms when I when I'm no longer hot, and um, I do have a tendency to trade very aggressively. So, you know, I talk about in the workshops, and you know, when I do the trading psychology section, that over concentration and over leverage are the two elements of um, a blow, a blow ups. Like you need both of them, um, and I do both of them. And so I've had a lot, I've had, you know, quite a few blowups in my career and, <clears throat> excuse me, and, uh, and I actually, you know, I've given a couple of talks about this that, that are on YouTube. The, the first one was back in 2019 um, at the master's course where I talk about really about a three and a half, four year tailspin where I, I blew up, you know, my personal accounts pretty much, you know, down like. 85%. And, um, and that really took its toll in many ways, including, you know, it wasn't the reason, but it was definitely a participating factor in the fact that I'm divorced. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm also best friends with my ex-wife, so which is nice. But no, but, but, you know, it really that financial stress, and just the emotional toll it takes 
when you um when you're in a, a major losing streak and you just can't seem to get your you can't seem to get out of it um you know it just takes its toll on so many levels so, so I gave charles, that charles let me just interrupt that so i mean essentially that sounds like you're you're in the middle of a downward spiral right there i mean is there some kind of triggered to to say that i'm i'm back i'm just in this downward spiral nothing's going wrong where you just have to walk away or anything like that uh well that's the that's the problem walking away is what you should do and, and basically stopping trading coming to terms that you're just not on and taking a break but i never take a break that's the problem in fact i don't think i've um I mean, I've almost never taken a vacation. I mean, it, it's really, um, it's tiring after a while. But I am, you know, I'm always, I do have this kind of bullish bent in me. And I have a lot of confidence. And when things are working, and, you know, I just think they're not going to stop. And I think, oh, my God, I'm a genius. Well, I'm up 50 fold, like, you know, I'm going to be up 100 fold, you know. Yeah. And so... You know, all the things I talk about in the trading psychology section of the master's workshop and all those rules and, and you know, the, the tendency for people to ex extrapolate short-term moves and to get overextended and not to settle a line in the sand where you're going to begin to raise cash. All these things, you know, all these rules and ways of looking at things are so critical. But, um, I mean, honestly, I violated every single one of them in these blow-up periods and so you know what i what i've talked about in these in these um kind of personal personal journey presentations i've given there's two of them i just want to actually i just gave back at the um first uh couple of days of september to an ibd a joint ibd meetup group up in san francisco and i talked about my latest blow-up and which was truly my most profound blow up in terms of money and in terms of percentage. Um, I mean, like you thought, I thought I couldn't get, it couldn't be worse than, than 2014 through 17, but. Oh you boy. thought 87% was as bad as it would get. Yeah, huh? <laughs> thought, wow. That was pretty bad. But this, this is like, literally, this was a true, really a blow up. And so um, in my margin account, mm -hmm. uh, thankfully, I'm not allowed to margin all my accounts. So <laughs> I've survived in some of my accounts, but this one was truly profound. And so what I've talked about is that it's not enough to know what rules you're breaking because, you know, you can do a post analysis and discover where you're going wrong. And if you do a post analysis, when you're in the midst of a losing streak, you'll, you'll realize that you're trading uh, when the general market's not in your favor. You'll realize that you're not cutting losses. You'll realize that maybe you're buying extended. You'll see all the things that you're doing that are wrong. And it's, you go, okay, well, that's pretty simple. I know what I'm doing wrong, but it's not enough because for me, I know, I know that what I'm doing wrong, it's just, I keep doing it. So yeah. you have to go a little deeper or a lot deeper actually, and discover, well, why am I breaking these rules? And why am I, why do I keep repeating this cycle of, you know, making a great deal of money and then losing a great deal of money. Mm -hmm. And for me, and I've been in therapy now for a number of years, um, not just over, over this, but it's all related, whether you're talking about relationship or just your feeling of worthiness or the market, everything is kind of the same origin in a way. And for me, uh, I mean, I'm not, I can't go in great detail in this short segment here, but you know, I, I go into great detail in the in the um, presentations that are on YouTube, if anyone wants to see. But really what, um, for me, what it came down to is this feeling of kind of worthiness or a lack of worthiness and this like a deficit there. And for me, more money meant more value. And so it was really like uh, this insatiable appetite for to feel good inside and it couldn't be satisfied. So no matter how much money I made, I just kept putting the bar higher. Like it was never enough. 
And in this last, um, in this last run that I had, I, so I actually was, you know, people always ask, so what happened when you blew up your account, you know, and did that first presentation, like lost 87% of your money, did, did you, were you able to come back? And I did. And I thought it might take 10 years to come back or at least, but I came back The COVID, you know, as, as bad as it was, it was good for our, it was good for traders who knew for our style, who knew for our style and where to deploy those funds. And, and of course I got on board on Tesla and I made back all that money and then much, much, much more in a two year period. I was up almost 50 fold, which is, I've never had a, a run like that back to back, you know, that, that compounded to those types of gains. And, um, and then I, I managed to lose a great deal of it. And in my margin account, literally blow it up just because I was so concentrated. And, um, and, and so, you know, playing with a lot of leverage. Mm -hmm. And so it was really when I was making that money, it was just like an itch I couldn't scratch. It's just like I just kept playing. Like I couldn't take, I wasn't sober enough <clears throat> to take to kind of look at my account and say, wow, I just made a lot of money. I don't have to work anymore. I'm going to take half of it out, put it in the bank and play with the other half. Like that, that would have been the sensible thing to do. Well, and Joel, I know that's something that you were doing before, you know, uh, with a number of the runs that you went on before. I know that was something that you typically did. Yeah. Well, I always am right selling into strength, right? But the thing is, I always redeploy on a gotcha. pullback and sometimes these pullbacks turn into major bear markets and rather than saying oh my god this isn't this is no longer a pullback within an uptrend this is now a broken stock or a broken market i just keep thinking yeah but i know this stock i know this and this is my long-term one and, and i Which honestly that's what i did with tesla was i said you know i'm holding this stock for 10 years i don't care what happens I'm holding it. That's how much I believe in it. And, and I still have that belief, but when you're concentrated and on margin and a stock falls 75%, it doesn't matter. You're going to grow. That's just how the math works. So, you know, if had I not gotten margin calls, I surely would have been, I would have lost that entire account because, you know, I had to raise funds. I was forced to raise. Funds. I didn't want to, but I, I had to. Um, Charles, I mean, it almost seems like, you know, when things were going so well and you're talking about the not being worthy of it, that it's almost like a self-sabotage, right? Where It's definitely an element of it, Arusha, that, that it is self-sabotage on many levels of feeling like, you know, there's two things you can do when you, when you don't feel like you're, you deserve right. your, your, performance or your wealth you either maybe get some therapy and change your mindset and say you know what i do deserve it i work hard and i am a good person and and i've you know talented in this one little way and and i deserve it and then there's the second way is like not believing you deserve it and then sabotaging yourself and taking whatever actions you do even if they're kind of unconscious uh to basically put your external environment uh, back in line with how you feel internally, which is what happened to me. Basically, right. Right. I said, you know what, this I don't deserve this money, and then I lost the money. So, you know, one thing that is interesting that we're doing this segment today is I had a, a uh, I met with my therapist yesterday, and we were talking about the market the whole time. And I was telling her, like, so yesterday, right, was a big day in the market, right? right. Yep. And I had a big day in the market, you know, in my personal account, a big percentage day. And I was telling her how I'm just a little bummed because the amount of money I made off my new base was whatever it was. Let's just say I made... 40 grand or something, which is like, oh, that's a lot of money. Like most people would say, well, that's a lot of money. Good, good job. For a day's work. Yeah. <laughs> day's work. It easily would have been seven figures two years ago. 
-hmm. And so was, I'm used to playing with bigger numbers. So it's kind of like, I was just bummed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is a bummer. And so one thing we talked about, which is really important, I think this is a, a message to the, <clears throat> to the audience <clears throat> about how to protect yourself from um, blowing up and, and really messing up badly is really implementing a, some level of self-care where like for me, I'm most comfortable when I have a lot of money in the bank. That kind of allows me to take on the risk I take on in the market because I know like worst comes to worst, I'm going to be okay. I've got money. Um, but <clears throat> over this last period, my cushion is much smaller, you know, in terms of savings. It's just, it, it isn't what it was um, because I, I just, I kept taking money and putting in the market. So um, I've implemented this approach of taking out 25% of my profits every time I reach a certain level. And what my therapist, you know, she was, we were talking yesterday and she said, I said, you know, it's going to take me a long time to get back to where I was. And she said, where you were in terms of money. And I said, yeah. And she said, yeah, but when you had all that money, you weren't happy. It wasn't enough. Wow. You know, it was, it's never been enough for you. Like, what do you think you can do different? And what will be different this time? And I said, well, I think what's going to be different this time is that I'm aware of the fact that I need to take care of myself and pull money out of the market and not put it all at risk because, um, you know, I, I now have this awareness of, you know, the tendencies that I have and the fact that I don't need to have, like I do have this kind of new sense of worthiness that I don't need to prove it and I don't need to have an unlimited amount of money. And um, so anyway, what I, what she kind of said, asked me to maybe try doing, which I just started today, by the way, is rather than wait till you hit a certain level to take money out of the market. Every time I have an up day, I'm going to take 25% of those profits and just move it into savings. And she said, try it for three months and see how, see how you feel. Like, do you feel safer? Do you feel like you're taking care of yourself? Is, you know, because one of the things I told her was, I feel uncomfortable not having enough money in the bank. So just today, you know, I, I just, I sold a teeny bit of my stocks and I wired money out of the market into my savings. And that's where it's going to stay. And I'm still playing with 75% of, of, you know, I still have my base and 75% of the profits I'm making. So really the realization is um, kind of like, uh, how did she say it? She said, this is how you parent yourself. Like it's uncomfortable for me not to be fully in mm -hmm. leveraging everything I've got and going for it. Like that's my default. My default is just putting everything I can in the market, especially when we're in this kind of market and building my wealth as quickly as I can. And this is a different Charles now in a way, because by taking money out, every time I'm making money, I'm on, you know, mathematically, it's going to take me longer to recover. Right. I'm going to make less money, assuming that I'm, I'm trading well, but I'm also taking care of myself and um, building up, you know, kind of replenishing my savings and just taking care of myself. So, you know, I'm, I'm in less of a rush than I was and I'm dealing with that uncomfortable feeling of, I want it now. I want more and saying, you know what, you can't have more now, but you're going to take care of yourself. You're going to move money into savings and you're going to take care of yourself in that way. And you still have three quarters of your profits on top of your base to play with. So that's what I'm doing. I'm going to do it for three months and see if how it makes me feel. Like so far, it actually feels good. Yeah. <laughs> it's only been a day, but um, and and so that's it. But the 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 presentation I give, you know, it's an hour presentation. The last one, which goes into quite a a, a great deal of um, detail, just into my life a little bit, and maybe how why I am the way I am, and um. 
but anyway, it's, um, yeah, it's dealing with your demons and it is really what it takes to, to keep it. You know, there's many yeah. people can make it in the market, but keeping it is a, a different story. And so, um, and, and for me, I've always been very black or white, like I'm all in, all out, um, you know, all good, all bad. And this is really a way of tempering that and saying, you know what, I'm going to take a little bit out and put it into savings and play with the rest and just keep doing that. And I think that is my, I think it's also going to be in a way self um, kind of, um, this is what I'm looking for, Justin, where I'm, uh, but by doing, by doing, doing this process, it's going to kind of build on itself. Yeah. And self-fulfilling. Yeah, kind of and kind of be a virtuous cycle of yeah feeling better and safer as I'm progressing. So and making better decisions. Well, yeah, and before Justin, before you ask your last question, I just want to say so because Charles and I are on on daily meetings uh, every morning. We usually keep Charles to the end to make his comments about the market because he's always the optimist. He's always the bull, and it's very helpful, especially the last few months. When you know, I'm, 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 I get bearish really quickly. I'm like, okay, this is never going to go up. But we always have Charles there to remind us, and he's always looking at the positive side. Of, and it's, and so it's very, very powerful because in the end, you know, the markets do have that long bias. So, so yeah, we, it's always great to have Charles go at the end to just remind us, hey, we're close to a fall today. Stocks are setting up, and it helps shift all of our mindsets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one other thing I wanted to ask you about, Charles, is uh, how you've been handling these accounts differently. You talked about your margin account, and, and certainly over-concentration plus margin can equal great success or great disaster, right? Um, yeah. it's, 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 you have to be very careful with that. But, you know, your, your firm account handled very differently. Uh, certainly there's, a, there's an accountability there, you know. Other people are watching, and you you can't just you have to justify your actions uh, to a certain degree. Um, you know, with the Roth account, margins just not available. You know, you you right. you can't do it. Um, yeah, you know, that that's not something that you can you can do in a Roth account. So maybe talk about the difference. And and you know, I I also should mention that I mean, I I I, I remember how your ex wife at times would kind of be there to build you up after you had kind of a rough time and. Hey, you can do it. You've done it before. You can come back from this. So there's all these different levels of the outside kind of influence too. Can you talk a little bit about how that uh, plays into plays into it? Yeah, you know when I when I first started trading and I first had my early success and I had my early kind of blow ups or, or pretty significant drawdowns, I wasn't sure whether I had just been lucky. Or, you know, if I actually can be good at this. And early on, I thought I was probably just lucky. <laughs> I mean, you know, and a lot of it had to do with this. The general market was so favorable in the late 90s that we could just get away with a lot. Yeah. And, and, and everyone seemed to make a lot of money in that time frame. I mean, you didn't have to be a trader. You can just, you know, open up the newspaper, throw a dart, buy a stock, and you made money. Um, but over the years, you build a certain confidence up that, wow, yeah, I've, I've blown up or I've had some pretty significant drawdowns. I need to fix this, but I always come back. So, so deep down, I have this kind of like inner confidence now that has happened so many times that I know I, I know I can make money in a good market and I, I'll make way more than my share when conditions are right. Um, I just need to fix the drawdowns. But yeah, I mean, with regard to how I trade the accounts differently, I would never trade someone else's account, you know, that I have a fiduciary duty to the way I trade my account. I just, I take on a lot more risk in, in a way that my own account is really almost more a personal reflection of me. And because I have had to deal with, you know, I, I've dealt with these issues of value and worthiness that's kind of how I prove myself, you know, more money means more value means more worthiness. And I don't treat 
the other accounts that certainly any accounts that I trade for other people don't, you know, that doesn't represent me. That's just, that's my job. And I'm trying to uh, protect them and to make them as much money as I can and, and be responsible about it. So somehow I, I, it's, it is just a different way of looking at things. And of course you are assessed and you, you, you know, there are people looking over your shoulder, so you can't just go in and violate your rules. So, um, so that, so that's a big difference there between trading for other people and trading for yourself. Mm -hmm. And, but well, that's not, that's not an excuse though. I mean, uh, you know, that's just what, what can happen though is, you know, when there's no one looking over your shoulder, uh, you know, you're, it's possible if you're not aware, um, to really mess up. So there's that. And then with regard to the Roth account, you know, just the, the fact that it's not a margin, you can only do so much damage. I don't really trade them that much differently, but the Roth account is a much slower way of trading for me. And I just, the margin account is almost like, I just go for it. You know, I'm just aggressive. I mean, I'm aggressive in all my accounts, but I'm ultra aggressive on the margin account because you can just make so much money trading, trading on leverage. And so um, anyway, it's, it's fun when it works. Right. But you know what, uh, not to, not to put on the therapist chair here, but uh, I think it's interesting that you said for the accounts, when you're trading for other people, how you feel like you have to protect them, you know? So maybe, maybe you have to do that for yourself too. You know, well, yeah, that's learn, a, learn to protect yourself. Uh, yeah, that's a great point. And that's what I think I was, I'm talking about now with regard to like self-care and pulling yeah. money out and putting into savings is that, that, um, that is a way of protecting yeah. yourself. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And so that, that is what I'm doing finally for myself after all of these years. Wow. Right. Uh, yeah. The parenting yourself, delaying gratification a little bit, uh, you know, for, for that extra protection and, and savings, but uh, great stuff, Charles, really appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, hopefully it's something that a lot of our listeners can, can learn from. And, you know, it's a reminder that no matter how good you get, you, you always have to be aware of these pitfalls and in, in the game of trading. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. And Charles is going to talk to us about some of the stocks on his radar. We'll be right back. Trading Tesla, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leverage and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to Investing with IBD. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Pires and Charles Harris, both portfolio managers at O'Neill Global Advisors. So uh, great to have their insights. Um, I mean, we get Arusha all the time, but you know, it's, it's always great to have Arusha, but it's even more special to have Charles uh, here. Sure. So, uh, I, you know, Charles covered a lot of great stuff, and he he kept on mentioning the YouTube. Um, you know, there's there's two actually Trader's Journey uh, YouTube things to watch. So if, if you just go into YouTube and want, you know put in Trader's Journey uh, Charles Harris, uh, you're going to get both of those uh, showing up. So definitely definitely worth checking those out to kind of get the full story, um, all the emotional. Uh, ups and downs of the whole the whole journey. Uh, you're just getting a little taste of it here. But let's get into stocks. Um, and uh, we can also start with uh, what at Duolingo, uh, yeah. the, the, the Duolingo here. It's had this massive move um, last week. And it's it's consolidated a little bit. But um, what is it that you like about this stock here, uh, Charles? So um, I do have a small position in it. I, I got in a bit late, but um, the way I, I'm kind of handling this, uh, the current market and, and where I'm positioning is I'm kind of bifurcating my approach between stocks that are breaking out to new highs and particularly, you know, in a beginning of a new bull market. And hopefully this is the beginning of something that's sustainable. Um, IPOs are are really where there's a lot of um, a lot of potential for big moves. So this is a you know relatively new issue. It um, you know it was again brought down with the market, but the numbers are good. The um, they're expanding their offerings from just languages to I think to math now and in just different areas, educational areas. 
Yeah, they just added music as well. <clears throat> music. Um, and I actually was using it in Spanish, but I know you, had, you said you had a 400 days straight on Duolingo. 398 i yeah i think i lasted three or four weeks and then i um i got tired and then they started sending me these like really sad places <laughs> like what happened yeah so um yeah i i ended with um hola como estas and i didn't get much further but okay I'm gonna, well i'm hey, gonna go back it'll get you pretty far at least you're friendly I'm going to go back, but the volume, huge volume gap up on earnings. And uh, so, it, you know, it was extended immediately. And sometimes it's really hard to get into stocks that gap up like that. If you, you know, you kind of miss a pivot and it's, you know, inherently more risky to buy a gap up because how do you know when you're wrong? Mm -hmm. So the way I handle these and the way I handle this is I did get involved um, on the gap up didn't get the greatest prices, but it was just a very small position. So it's kind of a pilot position and I bought more today. So, um, and I plan what really, what I would like to do is try to buy on the 10 day moving average, mm -hmm. which is, you know, probably down another 5% or something. So, you know, we don't know where, what's going to happen to it or if, if it's even going to work. But again, these are the types of stocks that have, great potential at the beginning of a new bull market uh you know ipo stocks there's no overhead you know th this is a new high ground basically and they can have tremendous runs in fact i have a whole notebook of stock you know gap up stocks and how they behave and you know the first seven to ten weeks of a, a new run like this if conditions are right you know, stocks can easily run 30, 40% from the close of the breakout, hmm. uh, from the gap up. So, you know, no clue what's going to happen, but I'm, I'm, you know, this is one of the stocks I'm trading and looking to, to kind of fill out a position on a pullback. Uh, because again, you don't want to just buy when the stocks are, you know, way, way extended. Now you are opening yourself up to a lot of risk. So Charles, when on the so right now you made you made a small position on the gap up day. Did you make another little small position today on the pullback or a little yes, bit? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then you're gonna so, wait for it to pull back to the, the I'm gonna, I'm, my I ideally I would love to to kind of buy a bigger chunk on the 10 day moving average. And look for maybe an upside reversal or something like that. Yeah. Or, and if I got an upside reversal, maybe a shakeout under the 10 day with an upside reversal, I, I would get pretty aggressive. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. just how I would handle it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and shift gears a little bit uh, to the the housing sector. And we can take a look at Toll Brothers. A lot of the housing stocks uh, look the same. And, you know, this was a this was a move earlier in the year that had some people scratching their heads with interest rates getting so high. Uh, mortgage rates getting so high. Why were the home builders doing well? Um, and you know they they corrected and you know got support at the forty week moving average line. And here they are back. Uh, Toll Brothers at new highs. And this is actually I know that you played the housing sector really well uh, a little bit over a decade ago. Um, you know, and you had some experience uh, just with your your job before trading, uh, kind of understanding the real estate market. So what's what's your assessment of these right now yeah so i guess because i did have a big play in housing way back when um you always seem to come back to the things that you were able to, to do well in, in the past so i'm always kind of looking at housing you know if you look at the and normally i trade tech stocks i mean i mean most of the stocks i trade are technology related or biotech or you know, very growthy types of things some retail, maybe housing moves, you know, is much more cyclical and uh, it can, they can go on large extended runs, but generally they, they don't move like growth stocks. But um, if you kind of get the timing right, you can, you can do really well in them. There's been an undersupply of, of new homes for really since the last housing crisis uh, back in the mid nineties. Um, builders never really um, 
replenished in the way that they normally do. Usually housing is a very much a boom and bust sector, but ever since the financial crisis, actually before the, the is it the mid nineties? No, maybe I'm talking about 2007, 2008. Yeah, ever since that time period, they, um, they, they weren't building the way they used to. They used to really be, become much more speculative, buy a bunch of land, build a bunch of houses on spec, and at the top of the cycle, they'd be left with a ton of homes they can't sell and, you know, and the stocks would crash. Uh, so they kind of, you know, got religion back after the, the housing crisis and just never built the way they did. So there's, there's really a supply demand imbalance for housing. And even with these elevated interest rates, um, there's just not enough homes for, for people to move into. And so we have, um, you know, strong supply demand, you know, factors involved here. And now we have rates that have probably peaked for good and maybe on the way down. So, you know, interest rates, you know, housing stocks are very, very sensitive to interest rates. And now if they're moving in the right direction, um, these can maybe go on another run. And you can see how powerful the advance has been just over the last three weeks. Like if you pulled the daily back up, just gap up after gap up um, off the 200 day. And that's a super strong looking chart. So yeah, not even earnings, uh, no earnings reactions here. It's just, that's pretty right. remarkable. And they all look like this. They all look like yeah. this, but there's a, you know, a lot of, you know, RS line at new highs, Stock's been under accumulation, really solid volume coming off the bottom. So, um, you know, this is an area where I'm, um, you know, looking for a pullback because, you know, this is literally straight up off the bottom. But if we can get a pullback and even if the market doesn't have an a extended pullback, like I think we're all waiting for, it doesn't mean that stocks that, that are have had a move like this can't pull back for a week or two and give you a low risk entry point. So you remember back that in the day, um, Justin, when Netflix moved right up off, off the bottom, mm -hmm. rested for a week or two, and then began a long sustained move. I know we used to sh show that one, preview that one in the in the workshops. So housing is another area that I think is, you know, there's a lot of potential and not that we focus on PEs too often, but the PE ratios and all these housing stocks are between like five and seven. So um, I can't read What's it say there? Six. It's at six right now. Okay. There you go. So, you know, I almost feel like it's just, it's not a lot of risk. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they're making money. Their profit margins are strong, even though they've been compressed recently because uh, or coming down because, um, you know, uh, They've got to incentivize people by buying down the, the interest rates and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that that's going to probably um, end. And, and they and I think profit margins can maybe reaccelerate. So I like housing. And one another, uh, do you want to move on? Well, did, did, did you want to just kind of finish that thought? Yeah, no, that that's it. Just I, yeah, I okay. think. I think that housing, I think this, again, the, the combination of the interest rate environment becoming um, more favorable and the supply demand characteristics of the sector both bode well yeah. for housing. So I think that's a, 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 could be a really good area. And then one thing, the way I'm approaching this market is kind of bifurcating between these stocks that are breaking out to new highs. So we just showed the Toll Brothers and DHI is another one. And then we showed the Duolingo. Um, so the, again, those are traditional stocks at new highs that you know are kind of an O'Neill type approach. And then the other place where I'm focusing on is in turnaround stocks that um, may have a lot of overhead supply, like a Shopify is a stock I'm involved in that is still well off its highs of a few years ago but it's um you know those highs are now long enough ago that i think the overhead supply is probably not going to be as 
um, you know, is important and difficult to break through. And again, they reported a, a really nice earnings number. It's, um, you know, they make money and they, if you, if you pull up the daily chart, um, you know, that really huge gap up on earnings off the bottom and it's just extending those gains with the market. So I, it, you know, it's obviously extended on a short-term basis, but if you were to draw a line over the declining tops, you know, it's finally come, you know, moved above those recently. And I think that was an ideal time to, to get in, even though it looked extended. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, I think, a stock you can begin a position in and hope for a pullback. Right. And that, and that's the way I'm treating these is I, I'm kind of, I, I want to be careful not to just buy extended because I've been burned so many times, but this market does start, it is feeling like you can kind of get away with that a bit and you might be forced to, um, because again, the market typically doesn't act the way everyone wants it to. And so again, I think there's a lot of money on the sidelines waiting for that nice, easy pullback. And it might be more of a, you know, a news related thing or just a really bad opening or something where you have to start to get involved. So normally I have a rule that the first day down, you never want to buy because it's very rare for a, a stock to have a one day pullback. Right. But um, like today in Duolingo, I, it's kind of a, it's the first day, but I bought small. You know, I put some limit orders in below the market and, um, you know, maybe I get hit, maybe I don't. So that's how yeah, I, I just want to quickly uh, point out here uh, in the the ownership block, uh, you can see like Contra Fund has really increased in from way. 0.8 to 2 million in the mm -hmm. last quarter. Uh, JP Morgan's jumped from 10 to 14. Uh, so uh, you are starting to get an increase in uh, some of the institutional sponsorship from the IBD Mutual Fund Index. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you look at that weekly chart and um, we have this, you know, kind of black line on the weekly chart that, you know, a lot of people don't don't know where, where, where that comes from. And it's it's really an 18 month line. And Bill, a lot of times would say that, you know, once you get to 18 months, the overhead supply becomes less relevant. I wouldn't necessarily say it's irrelevant, but less relevant. And I remember him originally saying that with yahoo.com back in 2003, it was coming out of a perfect cup with handle on the follow through day uh, on March 17th. And yes, it did have this overhead supply that it was looking at, but it was getting old. And, um, you know, to your point, Charles, I mean, this was down 87% off of its high. Um, and it's still off 60% from its yeah. high. Um, you know, so it's it's certainly you know not our typical, but I mean it's almost up two hundred percent from its bottom, so yeah. it's 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 moved uh, moved quite a bit um, already. So. Yeah, and there are, there are a lot of stocks like this because you know the growth stocks and and the more speculative growth stocks, particularly the ones that were benefiting during COVID. So Shopify, yeah. you know, being a internet uh, retail stock, you know, benefited during that time frame they really got massacred. Mm -hmm. So again, down 80 to 90%, a lot of stocks. And, um, you know, they don't, you know, this is, you know, other than Amazon, you know, one of the really a true leader, you know, a stock that that's proven in the past that it can make a major run. Yeah. And this is again, the other, the other, the other um, company in that space. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, you know, how, how high it can go at this point, but it's still a, a high PE stock, but it's, um, these are the areas I kind of want to be involved in the traditional O'Neill growthier type sectors. Yeah. And so again, I, I'm looking at new merchandise and then kind of old merchandise. I, I would call this like a fallen angel. Yeah. That can but really itself. But to be clear, this is very different from, you know, some of those COVID era. I mean, you look at Zoom, uh, you know, ZM, that's still, yeah. you know, th th that hasn't made a 200% off its low. Um, yeah. DocuSign, um, Peloton, oh, God, you know, right, some of yeah. these high flyers, uh, you know, 
the fact that the fact that uh arusha bought a peloton yeah. was not enough to save it uh so <laughs> they're much uh, cheaper now too <laughs> right um well uh, hey charles it's always great having you on the show we really appreciate appreciate you sharing your story and sharing your thoughts on a lot of these stocks i think it gives our listeners a lot to think of uh again for folks that want to catch his youtube talk um the trader's journey if you just go Trader's Journey, Charles Harris, or you can go to at Charles Harris uh, at YouTube. And are, are you active on Twitter? I know you sometimes dabble a little bit. I dabble a bit. I mean, I I, I should post more often, but um, yeah, I'm on there every so often. Okay. So that's that's another place that uh, people can, you know, check check you out. What, what is that? That's Chaz. Uh, what, what, what is your... Twitter Chaz handle. Harris. Hold on, let me yeah, Ch Chaz Harris. Yeah, uh, Chaz Harris. C H A S. Yeah, Harris. Isn't ten twenty five. Ten twenty five, right? Yeah. Um. So okay, wanted to make sure. So that's definitely a, another place that people can kind of uh, follow along with uh, some of your thoughts. Um. And uh, again, great having you, buddy. Really appreciate it. Like to do it in the future. Always love to see you guys. Well, definitely. that's that's not a problem. You're going to regret saying that. We'll have you on. Uh, you're going to be the new Arusha. So we'll <laughs> have you on every week. Uh, okay. That's going to wrap it up for this show. Thank you so much for watching. And please join us next week when we're going to have David Saito Chung, the hat man, back on the show uh, sharing some thoughts with us. And we're going to do it a little bit early next week because it is the Thanksgiving holiday. So you can expect that to drop on Wednesday instead of Thursday. Uh, we're going to tape it a little bit early for you. So uh, thanks a lot for watching. We'll see you next time. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.